Hello, people of the way. Blessings and Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy 27. Now, remember what's happening is Moses is giving his discourse to this next generation that's going to pass into the promised land, the younger generation, uh, the second census. And here in chapter 27, verse 1, it's a little different because you see, he's not alone anymore. In verse 1, now Moses with all the elders of Israel. And it's very interesting because there are certain passages that that specifically speak of elders, like elders within the tribes, uh, elders. And then when you see uh, in conjunction with other people, sometimes it's the the elders of the tribes along with uh, judges and captains. But here, when you look at this word for elders, it's not identified as specifically as like an elder of the tribes or like a, 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 a captain or judges. Uh, and it also correlates the same use of the word is also in conjunction with other passages passages in the Old Testament and Torah that are just simply old people. Old people. I love this so much. This older generation. And on top of that, there's also the inclusion of both male and female. Remember the first census? When we're in our study in the book of Numbers, the first census, all male. Also, the first census, all dead. But in the second census, not all male. It is male and female. An Old Testament example of us. First census, first generation, dies. And I speak of our being born into Adam. That first generation, you and me born into Adam, dead. Now, born again into Christ, lives, passing to the promised land, passing into paradise. And so you have these, you know, Moses, in verse 1, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. Notice, Moses isn't alone. The Lord has raised up people alongside Moses. You have these, these old people, you have uh, elders, you have captains, you have judges, you have uh, Levites, you have uh, the Kohanim. You have all these people in the camp of Israel that the Lord has raised up. Remember how, you know, the, the balls in your court concept, how, you know, uh, 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 even with Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses. Okay, Moses, balls in your court. How are you going to respond to his word? You see, and remember our, 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 with uh, 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 even Zipporah helped him out because the Lord wanted to kill Moses, don't forget, because Moses was breaking the law. I mean, you know, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? Moses broke the law? Well, you know, Moses was uh, 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 called to go into Egypt, and Moses was going to do that before having his son circumcised. And, what you know, if he had done that, then he would have been guilty of breaking the law of circumcision, which was given to Abraham. And the Lord, when you remember the passages, if you've been walking with us for a while, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. The Lord was about to kill Moses. And then you have the beautiful intercession of his beautiful wife, Zipporah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so in love with Zipporah because, you know, she's hardcore. Beautiful. And then at the same time, it's like, wait, you know, just like when Moses killed the Egyptian. But, you know, the Lord didn't judge him for that. Why? Because the law wasn't given. 
Only the law of circumcision was given unto Abraham. And so the Lord was going to kill Moses because his kid, his son wasn't circumcised. And so at the same time, you see Zipporah circumcised her son. Very interesting. You know, uh, uh, we know as New Covenant believers, we know exactly what circumcision is. Belief in Jesus Christ, because it's not of the flesh, it's of the heart. Then you see how beautiful, because you see a, 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 a mom's ability to pour into the children. Circumcision, not of the flesh, not of the flesh. Remember, don't even, like, I know we're in these earth suits and the flesh, but get that out of our heads. Flesh, 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 no. You see, Zipporah, the circumcision of her, her son, how beautiful is it? Because as New Covenant believers, we know, okay, circumcision is belief because it's circumcision of the heart. A uh, 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 mom's ability to pour into son. Mom's ability to pour into, you know, sons and daughters. Teaching the next generation of righteousness. You see? Just like Zipporah, circumcision. And so you see, like, you know, the Lord spoke to Moses. Okay, Moses, ball's in your court. Moses responded. He responded well. But, you know, the little additive of, you know, don't forget at the intercession of Zipporah because it would have been not so well for Moses. Moses would have been dead. And so you see, okay, now Moses, he's, you know, respond. You know, all these times the Lord speaks to Moses. Okay, Moses, ball's in your court. And how he responds to the Lord. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. And as Moses and the Lord grow in their, their intimacy together, now look, you know, the, the, remember the, the formula, in, then through. The Lord does the work in, then through. And he did that with Moses. And so many times today, people say, oh, we don't like, we don't, churches, and, and we don't do the Moses model. We don't do the Moses model. There's no, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as the Moses model. You know, what, what a lot of Christians and ministry leaders and pastors and seminaries and, oh, don't do the Moses model. You know, we believe in, uh, 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 the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the plurality of elders, you know, which is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But when you look at the Old Testament and you read Torah, when you read all these things that we've studied in, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, you know, it's the Moses model. What you see is the Lord providing, the Lord adding. It wasn't Moses saying, hey, everybody, you know, uh, 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 you know, you guys have to follow me. You guys got to do this or whatever I say, go. You know, Moses is the messenger. Moses, is, man, he would say, you know, thus said the Lord. This is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord wants. And you see Moses going on his face before the Lord and the Lord responding to him. The Lord, you know, instructing. Remember, they spoke as friends. Remember when, when uh, 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 the, the brother and sister of Moses, when, you know, the, uh, leprosy came because they thought, well, you know, if the Lord can, you know, surely the Lord speaks to us also. And surely, you know, we can instruct you guys too. But the Lord says, no, 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 no. Moses is my guy. Moses is my messenger. But even in that formula, it's the Lord who raised up elders, captains, you see, judges. He raised up these people for such a time as this. So this next generation that's going to pass into the promised land, that they have these 
heavyweights, so to speak, to teach them, to guide them, to help them. And I love how in verse 1, it's not specifically elders of the tribes. The word for elders, yes, includes male and female, but it's the older people, the older generation. I love that so much. Because in Christ, now you take this, 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 uh, uh, this, uh, the camp of Israel, you juxtapose that with the camp of the church as new covenant believers, and you see virtually the same. Virtually the same in a church. And when I say church, I don't mean a church like, you know, oh, there's this building over here, there's this building over here, and it's got a cross on it, it says truth on it, it's got a picture of a Bible on it. I'm not talking about that. I'm speaking about saints of the Most High. People who are abiding in Christ, and they assemble together as one body. Let's say it's... Let's say it's under a tree. Let's get rid of brick and mortar because that's what we see with our eyes. Let's say it's under a tree. And you have a man who's pastor. Man, male. Coverings always male. Elders, male. So you have a man who's pastor. And then you have a man who's elder. And then you have maybe a deacon who's female. And then you have... I want to say pews, but sitting on stumps or, you know, sitting on the grass. Because remember, we're under a tree. And it's not like, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Maybe it's 10. You have pastor, you have elder, you have deacon. And 10 people sitting under a tree on the grass. Look at, look at this formula. When the formula is right inside each, you know, you little kids. Little pot, formula's right. Big pot, parents, formula's right. Pastor, formula's right. You see? He's married, has kids, you know, the, the home is in order, formula's right. Elder, formula's right. You know how powerful that little body that little tiny body, ten, uh, you know. So you have, the, you have ten that are sitting. They're in, they're in the student mode. They're in the disciple mode, learning, growing, and you know, of of them, you have mature and you know the immature. When I say immature, I don't, so you have the mature, and then you have like the baby, the babies. You have like the preschoolers and like the uh, uh, university, and all together. Not the university saying, "Oh, you know, you guys are so stupid because you're young." No, not remember the the rugby match. It's the mature who humbles himself, the mature who humbles herself. And then the young grow and mature. We mature together. See, that's, 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 you see this overlay. You look at the camp of Israel and you do the overlay with the church as new covenant believers and it's virtually the same. Leprosy, leaven. Treated the same outside the camp. Numbers, you know, forget numbers in terms of like the populace. People say, oh, look, there's a thousand people in this church. Oh, look, they have the, the fruit of the Lord. Look at the fruit in this church. Surely they must be doing what's right. No, 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 no. That's carnal. That's carnal. What's better, a sea that's one foot deep 
or a little puddle that's a thousand miles deep. You see, what has more water? The little puddle, because it's deep. When we understand, spiritually speaking, when we have this understanding, it will help you, it will help us. It will help us not just to grow and mature, but it will help us stand firm when the storm comes. When the tides of tribulation come, when the storm of trial comes, of hardships, and it is coming, it's already here. And look at what happens here in verse 1. You have these, the people gathered, you know how the Lord raised up these people to come alongside Moses, but it's Moses is, he's an old man. Joshua's going to be like the next in command. See, the formula has already been like it's established. People say, oh, the Moses model, the Moses model. People say the Moses model, but don't forget the Lord raised up elders. The Lord raised up judges, elders, captains. He raised up the warriors. But just like with Moses, okay, Moses, this is what the Lord says. Okay, Moses, balls in your court. Same thing. Joshua, this is what the Lord says. Okay, balls in your court, Joshua. Zipporah, this is what the Lord says. Okay, balls in your court, Zipporah. Korah, Korah, Korah. This is what the Lord says. Balls in your court, Korah. Now look, you know, remember our study in Numbers, Korah's dead. Why? Because the ball was in, in you know, the Lord, you know, the, the Lord says this. Balls in your court, Moses. Okay, Moses responded. Balls in your court, Zipporah. Okay, they responded well. The Lord says this. Balls in your court, Zipporah. Or, or balls in your court, Korah. He responded not well. And in so doing. Now, it wasn't just the Lord killed him immediately. That took time. The influence of Korah. The sin of Korah. It took time. You know, the Lord says this. Okay, balls in your court, Korah. You know, and... Time after time, day after day, week after week, month after month. Okay, you know, you make your choice, Cora. Okay, the Lord says this. You want to behave like this and you want to be this influence on the people. Okay. Now the Lord is going to respond to that. And all who follow you. You see? But look at the sons of Cora, writers of the Psalms. Not all the Psalms, some of the Psalms. Look at the descendants of Cora. Same thing. So you look at Korah from a, like a father figure. Okay. So, you know, the, you know, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says this, Korah. Okay. Balls in your court, Korah. Korah responds badly. Korah dies. But what about the descendants, the sons of Korah? They made their choice too. Thus saith the Lord. This says the Lord. Okay. Balls in your court, sons of Korah. And they don't follow their, their, the carnal example of dad. They follow the spiritual example and what they see in Moses and Joshua and Zipporah and, you know, all these beautiful people. Not the biological. And then you get to Psalms and you're like, wow, sons of Korah, Psalms of the sons of Korah? I thought Korah was judged by the Lord. I thought Korah was dead. Yes, Korah was judged by the Lord. Korah's dead and those who followed him. But then you see the sons. It's like, wow, what, what happened? I thought they were... 
I thought, you know, they were biologically tied together. Yes, biologically tied together, but not spiritually. You know, balls in your court, Korah. He made his choice, dead. Balls in your court, sons of Korah. They made their choice, alive. Honoring the Lord. It's beautiful. And so in verse 1, you have these elders. Moses isn't alone anymore. And they say in verse 1, they commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. How the Lord raised up these people. Verse 2, and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan on the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. Large stones translates as, as eben in the Hebrew. Eben, E-B-E-N, Eben, where, you know, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, we see Eben, Eben, Eser. Eben, Eser, where, you know, for my Western friends, Ebenezer. Ebenezer, for my non-Western, non-Western friends, Ebenezer. Large stones, and what's the Ebenezer? Is the stone of help. But here in that that's from First Samuel chapter seven, but here in twenty seven Deuteronomy, we in you know, chapter twenty seven, Deuteronomy, verse two, we see these large stones, it's the Eben, not the Eser, just the Eben in the Hebrew. That you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with mine. Very interesting wording that we see here to whitewash. Whitewash. So what is happening? The Lord is giving these instructions to, to, to Moses and, uh, you know, the, the Lord has raised up these elders and now they're, this is, these, this is the generation they're going to pass it on to the future generations because yes, this first generation, this younger, or the, uh, well, this first generation of the second, uh, uh, gener- the second census, they're going to pass into the promised land, but they're going to have kids. They're going to populate, they're going to get married, have kids and do all these things. And, you know, they're going to have these all the, you know, to, to pass it down to future generations to tell them, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And you're going to see people, they're going to not remember, not remember, not remember. They're going to forget, 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 but not everyone, a remnant within the remnant of Israel. They remember. Within the remnant of Israel, they retain, they hold near and dear. The same thing applies to the camp of the church. A remnant. We see here in verse 3. You shall write on them, these stones, these large stones, you shall, in verse three, you shall write on them all the words of this law. When you have crossed over that you may enter the land, which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. You see how powerful this is? The Lord God of your fathers promised, promised. You see the promises of the Lord continuing on. Now, I mean, we've seen some beautiful, beautiful promises already. I mean, we have so much in the in the Bible from Deuteronomy. There's so much in the Bible about more promises of the Lord. But we've already seen beautiful promises of the Lord. Now, 
We're going to get into certain books, the Chronicles, the Kings, and be like, well, wait a second. Why is this happening? Because the promises of the Lord say X, Y, Z. But I look over here in Kings and Chronicles and certain people and certain areas, and I don't see the promises of X, Y, Z. The reason why is because of disobedience. In order for the promises to be effectuated in Israel, we need to see obedience. Where you don't see obedience, you do not see the effectuation of God's promises. Old Testament, New Testament, and right here, right now, today. The promises of God, in order for them to be effectuated in us, in you, and in me, the only way is through obedience. You see? Because there are other promises of, you know, what the Lord does through disobedience and in disobedience. What does the Lord do to such a person, such a people? And it is written, it is prophesied, judgment comes first to the church. That should scare a lot of pastors. It should instill fear in a lot of, a lot of pastors and elders. But it doesn't. Now we understand why judgment comes first to the church. I'm in, in other areas too, but that's one aspect of understanding why judgment comes first to the church. The church in the last days is going to be a mess. What do we see in the church today? Straight up mess. And I don't say that like, you know, nonchalantly. Oh, you know, just a mess. I don't say that nonchalantly. I mean, if you've been listening for a while, you're like, okay, hopefully you understand. It kills me. It breaks my heart. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like what we see in, in in churches today. The money preachers, I don't like it. Take the mark of the beast, I don't like it. The grave soakers, the glitter, the Holy Spirit, they call glitter the Holy Spirit. I don't like it. You see? It's easy to understand when we see the prophecy of judgment coming to the church. It's easy to understand, but you have to have eyes to see. You have to have ears to hear. And here you have, you know, the, the, in, in verse 3, you see, you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God, the God of your father, uh, God of your fathers promised you. And you see these promises are now effectuated through obedience. You see, and you have the people here in one accord, how the Lord raised up these elders to come alongside Moses. I mean, Moses wasn't a man pleaser. He wasn't an appeaser of the people where it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be joined unto you. You want to be carnal? Okay, I'm going to be joined to you. Remember when Moses and, and Joshua come down the mountain and they see the golden calf and it's like, okay, God is a God of love. I'm going to be joined to you now. Let's worship the calf. I got nothing to say about the calf. No, you don't see that. He's not a man pleaser. He's not a man pleaser. He's not appeasing the people. He's obedient to the Lord. Even if he has to stand alone. And in a lot of ways, he was alone. In our prior studies, if you remember our prior studies, you see, I mean, how many times did you see when we made mention, look, Moses is alone. Moses is all by himself. Standing. Then you see, wow, you know, look, Aaron is with them now. Aaron had his moment of disobedience with the golden calf. 
But Moses still wasn't alone. There was Joshua. It's like, wow, look, those are the only two guys. They're, they're all alone. They're the only two. But then you see how the Lord raises up people. Yes, even through repentance, because they had to repent after the golden calf. There was the bitterness of that. And then the Lord raises up these people. In one accord, right here, Deuteronomy 27, for such a time as this, Moses isn't alone anymore. You see? Look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. Alone, seemingly alone. In a lot of ways, very alone. But according to the Spirit, those with ears to hear, wow, you know what? I'm going to do what Jeremiah says. Because, you know, these elders, they're straight up crazy. These prophets, they're straight up crazy. And that's what you see through the line. You see a remnant through the Old Testament. New Testament, you see a remnant. Today, a remnant. Wise virgins. Here you have this one accord. You see kind of like the, the, the plurality of Moses not being alone. Understand there's multitudes in the camp of Israel. And now you have these, you know, the, the group of people, elders. Moses isn't alone. You have captains. You have elders of the tribes. You have all of these people. You have the, the priests, the Kohanim, the Levites. You have all these people. And now when they pass in the promised land, it's like, okay, balls in your court, Israel. You know what the Lord said. You heard what the Lord says. You've seen what the Lord has done. And some of you are young and you haven't seen it, but you've heard of it. And you've seen what happened to your parents in the wilderness, the first generation. You, you, you know that the journey could have been 11 days, but it turned into 40 years. You know how the Lord works. You remember how he rescued us out of, out of Egypt. You know these things. Okay, balls in your court. And it's beautiful, yes. But with this base plate of Torah, and with this base plate of understanding these things, you're going to see and understand and know why the Lord responds the way he does. To both obedience and disobedience. To righteousness and yes, to wickedness. You're going to see and understand why he responds the way he does. And we're going to reference this all the time. And so we see here in verse 4, Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal... Remember, they're on one accord and, you know, in one accord, giving very specific guidance. In one accord, very specific guidance. Now, when you have crossed over the Jordan on, that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones. Remember, these whitewashed, whitewashed stones, like in verse 2, whitewash them. And so you take these stones in verse 4, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. Whitewash them with lime. You say, wait a second. This was already said in verse 2. Why is it being said again in verse 4? Remember, repetition is a good thing. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It's a good thing. Like Paul says to the church, you know, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I told you these things. I'm going to tell you these things again because for your sakes it is good. Don't shun repetition. Repetition is beautiful. Spiritually speaking, it's like muscle memory. It's beautiful. And in verse 5, 
And there, remember Mount Ebal, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. This is, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Exodus 20, but in Exodus 20, verse 25, is you know, the, the tools profane the altars of stone. And I love this so much because, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you see how in Exodus 20, verse 25, how the tools profane the altars of stone. But now comes the carnal thought in the mind. Well, wait a second. This has to be good before the Lord. Look, it's, it's, it's got to look good before the Lord. It's got to look good. It's got to look good. Look, we're doing it. So it's for righteousness sake. It's got to look good. It's got to look good. But to who? To who? What's better, the appearance of holy or holy? The appearance of holy or straight up holy? What's better? Holy is better. The appearance of holy, it just so happens we studied this on on Sunday through Colossians. The appearance of holy does no good. In fact, that's, you know, more... Judgment. The appearance. Remember the monk that we talked about on, 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 on our, in our Sunday study? The monk? Oh, I'm going to separate from the world. Look, I have this humility. Look how awesome I am. Look, it's this and this. But meanwhile, the guy's a crackhead. Meanwhile, the guy's a sexhead. Meanwhile, he does the Buddhas and worship, does the Ouija boards and worships whatever. It's not the appearance of holy. It is straight up holy. And that's what we desire for all of us. Not the appearance that's carnal. No, to be straight up holy. And that's a work of the Lord inside of his temple. And I speak of us. So we see here in verse 6, you shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God. Remember, it says uh, you shall build with whole stones. Translates as complete and uncut stones. I love this so much because picture, you see an altar. Two altars. One, everything is finely hewn everything's you know like aligned everything's flush these stones they're stacked but everything's flush they're cut so it looks like wow look at the the masonry on this wow look how it's everything's perfect there's no protruding parts everything's just you know everything's just flush with each other and wow it's so perfect and then you look to the other side and it's like well just a pile of rocks a pile of rocks. You got the little ones over here, the big ones, and it just looks, you know, like disheveled. And as you see the bulbous over here, the bulbous over there, and it's like, wow. You see the two. You see a pile of rocks, a pile of stone, and then you see the, the nice pile that everything's finely hewn, everything's cut, and everything's like, you know, aligned perfectly. Everything just perfect. With carnal eyes, what's better? The one that looks disheveled. That's what's better. You see? Because there's no... There's not the hand. There's there's no tool. It's not carnal. It's not a man, a human, you know, cutting things and fashioning things. It's not... It's, it's the work of the Lord. So it's a little stone, it's a little stone. So they got a bulbous over here, got a bulbous over here. So it's not, I say little stone, but it's, it's a stone that's not as big as this other one, but it's still, it's, it's got the, you know, it's, it's roundish, 
but it's got a little, you know, bulbous over here. And Praise be to the Lord. It's not done with carnal hands. It's not done with the hands of men. And the Lord says, use that for the altar. Don't use the one that you don't, don't fashion it. Don't take these rocks and, you know, cut them and, you know, fashion them so everything looks perfectly. Why? Because remember, the Lord chooses the base things of the world. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to shame the wise. And so you look at one side, you're like, wow, surely this is holy because look how perfect it is. Then you look at the other side and you see like, how can this be holy? There's the bulbous over here, got a pile over here, a bulbous here, and how could this be holy? But yet that's holy. I love that so much because, you know, the appearance of holy, the appearance of holy is not holy. What is holy is his word. And what does the word say? You see, I love that so much. You know, people have this idea of, oh, you know, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to wear my Sunday best and do all these things, which... You know, that's not a bad thing at all. I get it. I understand it. But I'm going to go to church and I'm going to wear my Sunday best. But what's better? You wear your best suit and you go to church. You wear your best dress, outfit, you know, and you go to church. What's better, that or, you know, pants and a shirt, go to church? And so you look at the two. You take, take a, 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 a guy who's uh, uh, got his, you know, a, a, a three-piece suit. And he goes, oh, my Sunday best, my Sunday best. And then a guy goes to church in pants and a shirt. And he'll tuck it in, tuck in the shirt. And the guy goes to church. What's better? With carnal eyes? Oh, the three-piece suit is better. How dare this guy come and look, his shirt's practically untucked. He said he tucked it in, but it's, it's not even a good tuck job. What's better? Lady goes to church, same thing. You know, she got, you know the, the, the dress, the, the jacket, and, you know, it's, you know, you know, my Sunday best for the Lord. It's for the Lord. Then you take the, the, the other female and, and, and just, you know, uh, I don't know, however, however, you know, the lady's dress, you know, just, like a sweatshirt, you know? And it's like, wow, you know, with carnal eyes? Well, surely, you know, the Sunday best. And I'm not I'm not shunning the Sunday best. But what's better is the garment of praise inside the heart. That's what's better. The appearance of holy is not holy. Because there are men who have, you know, they wear their Sunday best to church. But they also visit the prostitutes. They wear their Sunday best to church, but they're also crackheads. You see? It's, it's all for show. And it just so happens we study this on Sunday. False humility, the appearance of holiness, but it ain't holy. That's not good. What's better is, you know, what's inside the temple. What's inside the temple? Don't forget, even the tabernacle, what's inside the tabernacle, the holy place, the holy of holies, that is so incredibly holy. In accordance to the law, that is so incredibly holy. Remember, it's the lesser light too because the, the, the fulfillment of Christ, that's the, the greater glory. 
But just speaking in a, in a carnal perspective, the tabernacle it is so incredibly holy, the holy of holies, yes, very holy. But it still got rained on. It still got rained on. You know, the, the, the wind would blow and, you know, on, like on, on a rainy day, you'd see like, you know, the wet side, the wet, you know, they'd be like wet on the, on, on the sides and, you know, the, the wind would blow and, you know, the, the, the sand would blow up, the dirt would blow up and there was still dirt on the outside that would accumulate. But what's inside? Still holy. Dirt accumulates on the outside. But what is inside is still holy. Same thing with you and me. What's inside? Sometimes it breaks my heart because it's like sometimes poor people, you know, they don't have the, you know, their their Sunday best, carnally speaking, their Sunday best is like a t-shirt with holes. Pants with holes. And I've had these conversations, you know, you go into the third world, you know, oh yeah, I don't go to church. Why? You know, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't go to church. What's what's the matter? I don't have Sunday best. What? Who who told you about that? Why do you think that you cannot go to church because you don't have a a tie? You don't have a shirt that doesn't have holes? Well, look, you know, everybody dresses like this. The pastor says this, Sunday best, Sunday best, Sunday best. Biblically speaking, what is the Sunday best is also the Monday best, the Tuesday best, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday best. And it's the condition of the heart. It is holy. I mean, you know, balls in your balls in our court, you know, we respond to what the word says. And, you know, if we're abiding in Christ, praise be the Lord, holy. You see? Or to, to talk, it's so, it, oh man, it, it, beautiful, beautiful people in poverty. Bummed out, like, I, I can't fellowship because I don't have Sunday best. You know, we have this conversation, you know, and then they say, I'm just remembering this beautiful family, you know, and, you know, uh, 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 somebody comes in and says, look, let's take a picture. And, like, the whole family stands up. They're poor, barefoot, in a little, like, dirt house. And they stand up and they, like, tuck in their shirts. Everybody tucks in their shirts. And it's so, <laughs> it's so beautiful to see. That's what I, you know, if you're poor, I don't care if you're poor. I mean, if you're rich, I don't care if you're rich, but if you're rich, that's the greater danger. Don't forget, it's easier for the camel to enter the eye of the needle. And that's what's so beautiful about the book of Acts, because you see the poor, you see the rich, and you see the, uh, uh, like Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Remember, Barnabas, that was the name given by the apostles. His name was Joseph. And so, you know, because of his behavior i shouldn't say behavior because the the work of the lord inside of him which impacted his behavior it was the apostles who called him barnabas son of encouragement because he would sell property and give 100% of the proceeds to the church you see it's powerful it's not the outward appearance of what is holy 
I mean, that's when you get into like, you know, the, the outward appearance. I mean, you see people, they wear their, they, they, they you know, they, 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 they dress like a priest, whatever that, you know, I mean, you, the Bible indicates, you know, what, what, what priestly garb is in accordance to the Old Testament and the law, but then also what priestly garb is in terms of, uh, 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 uh the, the, uh, the garments of praise in our heart. But it is man. It is man, it is the carnal, it is the flesh that has identified, okay, this is what the priest dress likes, dresses like. And so people go into what they think is a church and they're like, wow, surely this is a priest. Surely this is a priest. Look, they got the sign on the door that says, look, it's a church. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what, it's not, it's not carnal. And I love passages like this because it's like, wow, you know, like in verse five, don't use an iron tool on the stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them because, the, you know, you got a, a big stone over here with a little bulbous. Praise be to the Lord. And we have this idea. People have this idea of what holiness is. But biblically speaking, what is real holiness is everything that we see in the Word of God. Outside the Word of God, that ain't holy. Inside the Word of God, this is holy. Now that we understand this, ball's in our court. You respond. You choose. God doesn't make robots. He doesn't say, you know, thus saith the Lord and you will worship me. No. I mean, remember, just it just so happens we studied this on Sunday. Remember. I stand at the door and knock. Son of the Most High. I stand at the door and knock. The Sovereign. I stand at the door and knock. People say all the time, Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You know, God is sovereign. And you know, it's it's true that God is sovereign. I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. But in God's sovereignty... He's still a gentleman, so to speak. Because he doesn't say, you know, I don't stand at the door and knock. He, he, well, he says I stand at the door, but he doesn't say I'm going to kick the door in and barge and you will be my subjects. You are preordained to be my subjects. No, he says straight up, I stand at the door and knock. Remember, he says this to a church. Loud is saying, number one, why is Jesus on the outside? I mean, if Calvinism reformed theory were true, if you're Calvinist reformed, I love you. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll learn about predestin- biblical predestination. But to the loudest saying, number one, why is Jesus on the outside? And if God's sovereignty was in accordance to the teachings of John Calvin, I mean, why would he even knock? Why does he present a choice to the church? You see? These are things that... I, in, in one sense, I, I want to say like these are things that we have to wrestle with. But I don't have to wrestle with it. You've got to wrestle with it. If you're Calvinist or Reformed. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand. And I, I don't say these things to hurt you or to be combative. But among the Calvinists, they're saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Not only is that unbiblical, it's deadly. 
See? And yet the word of God teaches us what is holy is found in his word and only in his word. And so we see here in verse 6, You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly. I love this. <laughs> you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. I love how it translates. You shall write very plainly is to be, be declared very plainly. I love that so much. You know why? Because we see in, in, in 2 Corinthians, turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. This is Brother Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is before the before, or actually, this is Second Corinthians. So this is the the, the remnant that he's speaking to. It, the rem, remember the separation in First Corinthians uh, chapter five. There was a separation. What things that we, we we make comment on, reference to quite a bit in these last days. And we see here in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse two. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us. Written, not with ink, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. And that's what Paul says to the Corinthian saints. Not your tablets of flesh, the tablet of your heart, and not written with ink, but the Spirit of living God. And you are and you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us or cared to by us. Paul, Timothy, Titus, those in Paul's bubble, cared to by them. And that's what's so powerful about understanding how the Lord works, ministry leaders. The saints aren't for you. You are for the saints. You see, just like we see in verse 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. You see? A lot of times pastors like to get on a high horse. Oh, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing. No, 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 no. That's the carnal mindset, pastor. Repent if that's your mindset, pastor. What God is doing is the saints. Building inside of them. To that end, are you a minister of that? I mean, if the answer is no, straight up repent and step down. Pastor, we have to understand these things. We see these, the, the, these tablets in the Old Testament, but understand, as New Covenant believers... What about the tablets of flesh? That is of the heart. Just as is written here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 27. And we see in verse 8, you shall write very plainly. I love that. Declared clearly, plainly. Not these that's the fancy words and fancy this and fancy that. It's like, keep it simple. 
on the stones of the words this day. In verse 9, then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel. So we see in verse 1, you see the elders, and now you see the priests, the Levites. The Mo- Moses and elders in, in one accord, and in verse 1, and, and then, you know, to this point. But then now here in verse 9, now you see, enter the priests, all in one accord. And this is safety for the assembly of Israel. Because you have plural, like it's Moses isn't alone. The Lord is adding. The Lord has provided for such a time as, as this. He's raised up the Levites. There's the Kohanim too, but here in this particular passage, specifically the, the Levites. The elders in verse 1. The Lord has raised these people up for you see the safety in the camp of Israel. How the Lord has raised these people, just like, you know, under the tree. Remember, we have the example of under the tree. You have 10 people in the church, a church of 10 people. Carnally speaking, someone might look at that and be like, oh, that's not a church. They're just 10 people. Spiritually speaking, whoa, they're a million miles deep. A fruit of the spirit. You get the, the pastor, the elder, deacon. You see the safety, how safe it is for those 10 saints. I mean, you know, the pastor, elder, deacon, they're saints too, but those are workers. But for those, so like 13, but for those 10, you see how safe it is? Now, among that 10, as they grow, as they mature, as it, it could be that, you know, maybe the pastor's old and, you know, he's about ready to, 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 to die according to the flesh. And so there, among that 10, there's going to be another pastor. Maybe it's the elder that's going to be pastor. Maybe there's an, another person within that 10 that's going to f- fill that role. Or maybe the deacon is going to move as if the deacon's male, maybe the deacon's going to be the elder now. So it could be. But the Lord is the one providing. And it could be within that 10. That that 10, you know, they go to their neighbors and, and, and give them the gospel. Somebody becomes a Christian and they say, okay, come to church. Now, for, 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 for that person to say, come to church, if the formula wasn't right in that church under the tree, if the formula wasn't right, you know how dangerous it is to take that brand new believer, somebody who received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, do you know how dangerous it is to take that? I mean, it's dangerous for everybody, which, you know, says a lot about the pastor. If, if that were the case, I mean, if the doctrine wasn't right, you know, then I would approach the pastor and be like, you know, to identify, is it that you don't know? Maybe you think you should be a pastor, but, you know, you just don't know these things. Or are you a pseudodelphos? Are you a servant of Satan? You see? Now, if the formula is right... One of the ten goes home and tells his neighbor about Jesus. The, the, the neighbor becomes a Christian right there. And then all of a sudden, it says, you know, come to church. And then they go to church. They meet under the tree. The formula is right. It's safe. So instead of ten in, 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 in the flock, there's the three workers. But instead of ten that's in, in the flock under the tree, now that's eleven. You see? Say it was a married guy and he brings his wife. Okay, now it's twelve. You see? Or say it's, you know, a, a female. Now she brings her husband. You see how beautiful, how, how the church, the church grows, expands in terms of, from a carnal sense, the church grows. And I shouldn't say carnal, but in a, in a, in a physical sense. But in a spiritual sense, there always has to be depth. Always has to be depth, which is the doctrine. 
Now, as that church, so as it was, it was ten, and now it's twelve. You know, the the, the lady was married, so now it's twelve. Now, among the as those saints grow, it could be that what's being trained up and equipped in that bubble, you might have an evangelist. And the Holy Spirit is, you know, when the Lord calls an evangelist, the Holy Spirit will. It's not, you know, it's not a guy saying, you know what, I think I want to be an evangelist. No, it's the Lord saying, I want you to be an evangelist. And when that person is called of the Lord, they'll go out, evangelize, and the Spirit will work in them and through them. You see? And then they'll come back and, you know, the, the church of 12, you know, now the church of, you know, uh, the lady was married. So now it's a church of, uh, 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 I had 13, 14, 15. So now it's a church of 15. One of the guys, the mature, you know, he, the Lord has called him to be an evangelist. And so he goes, you know, away for a little bit. And then all of a sudden he comes back a month later with like a hundred people because the spirit was working in him and through him. A hundred people says, okay, so now it's like 113, 116 or, you know, it just grow. The, the numbers are added. You see? And yes, a person speaks in tongues, a gift of the spirit. There's no expiration date. On the gifts of the Spirit. A person speaks in tongues. Pastor says, you know, is there, is there an interpreter? Person speaks in tongues. Is there an interpreter? No interpreter. And then the elder goes to that person speaking in tongues. Okay, let's, let's not do this. There has to be order. When there's the gift of tongues, yes, it's beautiful, but there has to be interpretation. Listen to our, if you're charismatic Pentecostal, I love you, but listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand. Next week, you know, there's the, the meeting. We're under the tree. And then all of a sudden, you know, the same guy, you know, starts speaking in tongues. Pastor says, you know, is there an interpreter? And then a little kid stands up. Thus saith the Lord. And says, you know, there's going to be a famine. And it's going to start next month. A famine throughout the land. So the now there's, you know, a pastor and, you know, a couple elders now. Co-pastor. The elders assemble, okay, choose from among you seven men full of the Spirit. Not just warm bodies. Remember, the church is growing. There's like 150 people now. Choose from among you seven men to go, you know, to to serve in this ministry of, you know, we're going to take these offerings and we're going to take these offerings and we're going to go purchase these things and this and, you know, and and supply and, you know, uh, uh, people are going to, you know, this, this prophecy has been given to the fellowship from the Spirit, from the Lord. This prophecy has been given. So now people, they, they tithe more. They, you know, they, go, they get this grain. They gather grain. You might have a rich guy who says, hey, look, I sold this property and here's the proceeds. All these things. A month later, famine locusts come and they just destroy all the crops. Locusts come, destroy all the crops. But in the storehouse of the fellowship, there's grain. Why? Because the Lord, the Lord told them, the Lord gave them the blueprints of the word, yes, but the Lord was moving in them and through them, and now there's safety through the famine. You see? 
That's 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 how, there's no there's no expiration date on that. There's no expert, but today you see the abuse of it. Not only just the abuse of it, but now you see the shunning of it. But biblically speaking, you don't see an expiration date on that. Always, 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 always remember this. Because I've had these conversations with people that, you know, they're, they're hesitant to leave church. And if the formula is wrong in a church, leave. If you have a pastor that teaches, you know, the money preacher, if you have a pastor that says take the mark of the beast, if you have a pastor that goes grave soaking, leave. It is not safe for you. And so these people, you know, and, you know, these long conversations I've had, and then, you know, they they have their home fellowship. It's it's so beautiful to have the home fellowship, which is arguably, I can make a very strong case, that's the last day's church model, the last day, the, 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 the home fellowship, the last day's church model. As judgment comes to the church first, and then judgment comes to the land. The last day's church model is the home fellowship. But even within those home fellowships, you know, you're fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of old people, young people. And in these fellowships, and then my, your home, where you meet. And some of the listeners that I know of, they gather. It's like, you know, they, they gather and they put their, their listening device, most likely a phone, a laptop maybe, and just, okay, we're going to listen. But understand this formula. As the Lord adds, you know, you're, it might be your neighbor, it might be, you know, a coworker, whatever. And, you know, you have these, understand how the Spirit works. Be open. Don't be shunned to the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't shun these things. But be open because understand there's no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there is healing in the Lord. But being a fisherman, being a fisherwoman in these last days, so much wisdom is required. Because what's happening among the persecuted church where they meet in, you know, it's it's becoming more of a, a face-to-face model in these last days. What is happening is that you're having the authorities. Sometimes it's the religious authorities in, in persecuted lands today. And if you're a listener and you're in persecuted areas, I pray for you. I love you so much and I desire to meet you one day. Yes, we will meet in in the spirit. We will meet in our glorified bodies, but to meet you in flesh. I I desire that so much. But what's happening is that these religious leaders of certain lands, uh not Christian, uh and in the uh uh, uh police forces, they are finding that they are, you know, they are pretending to be Christians pretending to be converts, pretending to be converts. Oh yeah, you know I I believe in Jesus. And then the Christian says, okay, yeah, you know, we, you know, don't tell anybody, but this is the time we meet. This is where we meet, and this is you know, you know, come and and, and be with us in this fellowship. But unbeknownst to the Christian, is that person who says he's a convert, he's part of the police force. He's part of the, uh, the, 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 the religious police force, so to speak. And so it's time for service. And that person who we thought was a brand new believer is really not just the attacker, but they bring in the police force. They bring in the other religious leaders. And 
the, the church is dispersed. I meant it's sad that the church is dispersed, but that's what happens if it's easy. Sometimes the Christians are killed. Sometimes it's the pastor that's killed. And that's what's happening. So to be a fisher of men in these last days, we have to exercise extreme wisdom. And that comes from the Lord. The Spirit guides. And so we see here in verse 9, Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Very interesting what we see here because it's like, wait a second. Israel was God's people in Egypt. Israel was God's people in the wilderness. But understand at the same time that we still saw God's judgment and wrath upon Israel. I mean, we're talking about this. This is the second generation. Where's the first generation? They were judged. And among that first first generation, they, even God's wrath. I mean, Korah, the earth opening up and taking Korah and all his, who he influenced. Other men, women, and children. Don't forget the, the plague that spread across the camp, even among the second generation. You see? Don't forget, God's judgment still came. And so they were God's people in Egypt. They were God's people in the wilderness. But then at the same time, now just the same example where, okay, ball's in your court. Now comes the obedience. Just like we have in the church today. It's not once saved, always saved. It's once saved, stay saved. How does that happen? Through obedience. Through obedience. These things were written for our examples. That's what we studied in 1 Corinthians. These things were written for our admonition. This second generation has to obey. And this is so beautiful because now they have the example of you know, what they've been told. I mean, like, so you might have some young people who, you know, they only know about uh, Egypt through what they were told. But then you have some of the older generation where, like, in verse 1, you see some of the elders where they know from when they were in Egypt. Maybe they were, like, little kids or maybe even born in the wilderness. And it's so powerful because there's this example they learn from the previous generation, both good and bad. Now, I have something to say to young people. You might be 10 years old, 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, young. My young brother, my young sister in Christ. And, you know, look at the examples you have in your life. Now, you might think like, okay, like, this is, is this supposed to be a good example? Or is this supposed to be a bad example? Now, you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in the word of God. And we read and we study the word of God. But sometimes you're going to look at those in charge over you, such as a parent. And you're going to see a disconnect. You're going to see, wait a second, the Bible says this and I don't see that over here. I don't see that over there. Understand that even for them, the ball's in their court. They have a choice to make, just like with Korah and the sons of Korah. Korah had a choice to make. He chose wrongly. 
The sons of Korah, they chose wisely. And I say that to you, my young brother, my young sister, because I've had these conversations with young people before. And as a result of the behaviors of their parents, it rocks their world. It shakes their world so much that they're more apt to fall away and enter apostasy. And I don't want that for you, my young brother, my young sister, whom I love. Understand, you're going to see as you grow. That was one of the most appalling things that came to my realization when I became an adult. Because I always assume that, you know, adults have everything put together. But I see the highest concentration of stupid people among the adults. The highest concentration of stupidity among the adults. Now, if you're an adult, I love you, but, you know. I'll say it like Paul says it. I see the highest concentration of idiotes among the adults, where we get the word idiots. I'm just the messenger. And I just say it like, I'm just echoing the words of Brother Paul. For the my young brothers, my young sisters, the highest concentration that I see of the idiotes, where we get the word idiot from, I see it among adults. And you might see it too, my young brother, my young sister, you might see it too. You're like, wow, you know, the Bible says this and my dad is like this. The Bible says this and my mom is like this. The Bible says this and my aunt is like this. My uncle is like this. My grandparents are like this. What's going on? Well, number one, my young brother, my young sister, understand that we're in the last days. And apostasy is prophesied. But the same way the ball's in your court, the ball's in their court. They have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And just like Joshua says, as for me, me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You say, I'm just a kid. It's not my house. Well, you know, as for your heart, serve the Lord. You have example, and, and it hurts me to say this, but you have a, if you have, you know, like mom and dad that are straight up crazy town, you have an example of what not to do. But if you have a, a mom, and you know, pray for them, fast for them. If you have mom and dad where everything's on point, the formula is right, and then rejoice. Pray for them still because they're under attack. You see, a lot of times there's neglect for the younger generation. But I say this to my young brothers, my young sisters. You might be 8 years old. You might be 20 years old. You might be anywhere in between 15, 13. And you're just wondering about these things. But I tell you from my own experience, the highest concentration of idiotes are among the adults. That's just in my experience. And so we see this here in verse 10. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which, which I command you today. And Moses, now we have singular Moses. It's not Moses and the Levites or Moses and the elders. And Moses is verse 18 or verse 11. And Moses, now this is singular. And remember, he's an old man. Commanded the people on the same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Six people. Or of the six tribes. Or, you know, of six tribes. In verse 13, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Wow. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So you have another of the six tribes, total 12 tribes. In verse 12, Mount Gerizim is to bless six tribes. Verse 13, Mount Ebal to curse another six tribes. In total, 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of the camp of Israel. And notice too, on Mount Ebal, 
on Mount Ebal, just like in verse 4, you know, in, in verse 4, there shall, therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal, on Mount Ebal, verse 13, where is the curse? It is also where we see the whitewashed stones. Just like we see in verse 2 at the end. You know, you shall set up for yourselves large stones, large eben, and wash them with lime. It's the large whitewashed stones on Mount Ebal. Very interesting. In the entirety of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in the entirety of the Bible, the only reference of whitewash is here on Mount Ebal and to the Pharisees. You see? It's to curse. Jesus says, you know, whitewash tomb. In Matthew, if you've been walking with us for a while, you recall our studies through uh, 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 Matthew 23. Turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 3. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says to the saints of Galatia, and a little refresher course because we just studied this, freshly studied this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse, the curse, the curse, the curse of the law. Remember, whitewash. The only reference in all of the Bible is to Pharisees and Mount Ebal. That is the mountain of curse. In verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Very interesting. And so you see, like when, when, when we understand this, and, and you see Mount Gerizim, in, in, in going, let's go back to Deuteronomy 27. You see how Mount Ebal is to curse. The only reference to whitewash in the Bible is, you know, here, in verse two, chapter 27, uh, verse 2, whitewash. And the only the time you see whitewash again is in reference to Pharisees. The law. Advocates, workers of the law. You have Mount Ebal, a curse. Now, when we understand this, and then also, like in verse 12, chapter 27, Deuteronomy, verse 12, you see how these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless. What do we see? We see two mountains. Two mountains. One's to curse and one's to bless. The one to curse is where we see the whitewashed stones. And what Jesus says, and Paul also says it of the Pharisees, but what Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. Curse of the law. Which fits perfectly to what Brother Paul says in the book of Romans, the curse of the law. And not just there, Galatians 2 and other passages too. The curse of the law. It fits perfectly. You don't have to change doctrine and try to shove a circle into a triangle square. It fits perfectly circle in a circle, triangle, the triangle square in the square. Everything fits perfectly. But then we see in Mount Gerizim, verse 12, which is to bless. You know what that word is? In the Hebrew, it's to cut. To cut. 
an Old Testament reference to circumcision. To cut, to cut, to cut. According to the flesh, male. Circumcision. According to the spirit, both male and female. Because it is of the heart. Just like we study in Colossians. You know, Galatians, uncircumcised Galatians, which means it's a, a Gentile church. But, you know, the circumcision is of the Lord and it is of the heart. The blessings of God on Mount Gerizim. You know, for the Pharisees to hear whitewash, for Jesus to say to the Pharisees about, you know, you are whitewashed tombs. The Pharisees know that's Mount Ebal. They know that's a curse. They know. And that's what's so powerful. When, you know, when you, you ha- we, we have this backdrop of the Old Testament in the, in the Torah. And when you see how Jesus interacts with the Pharisees, he would say that if, if, if we don't have this understanding of the Old Testament and this understanding of Torah... And you hear Jesus, or you, you know, we read it, but you see Jesus say something to the Pharisees. You read it, and you're like, okay, you know, that's kind of harsh, uh, but you know, you know, okay, so the, so the Pharisees are whitewashed, whitewashed tombs. And you read it, and you're like, okay, they're whitewashed tombs. I mean, not to, I mean, it's, it, it has its own implications in, in understanding that based on minimal understanding. But when we have this backdrop of the Old Testament, and then you see from the Pharisees' perspective, Jesus Christ, he's, it's a curse. Because on Mount Ebal, it's the only reference to whitewash. And that mountain is a curse. You see, the Pharisees should have known. Some of them did know who they were speaking to. But by and large, the Pharisees, large scale, they should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. But he was killed in fulfillment of prophecy. What does that say about the Pharisees, the workers of the law, the the priesthood? For them to be so blind to not see or understand the fulfillment of the law being Christ. See? And in their in, in that curse, adherents and followers of them, that's also the curse, the extension of the curse. And then we get into Romans 11 territory, blindness unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. You see? It's very interesting how Today, 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 I mean, you know, this we're in 2022, freshly into 2022. But what's happening today is that there is, there are a high concentration of Jewish people who are coming to Christ, believing in Christ, believing in Jesus, Messianic Jews. It's very interesting that for such a time as this, we've never seen this before in the past. I mean, aside from, you know, the, the birth of the church, aside from, you know, like, you know, what we study in the New Testament. But everything across generation to generation to generation, it always been, you know, Torah, 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 law, the uh, Talmud, Talmud, Talmud. I'm not, you know, 
we'll say more about Talmudic law soon. But it's very interesting that you're starting to see in all history, aside from you know the birth of the church and Jews believing in Christ, that in recent history, Jews coming to Christ is happening at an exponential rate, a rate that is hasn't happened since like Acts time period. And then you remember the prophecy found in Romans 11, that blindness has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. That's why you hear us reference from time to time that the church age is drawing to its close. The fullness of the Gentiles. It gets closer and closer and closer every day. That's why, you know, you hear us say, you know, jump ship. Jump ship. Because we're very close to the very beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Very close. I want to say dangerously close. In one sense, dangerously close. But in another sense, we shouldn't even be surprised because it is written. I mean, it's it's dangerous when you don't know. And when you don't know, it, it's absolutely dangerous. Even when you do know there when you do know there are inherent dangers herein, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, so now what? Now now there's the narrow path. Understanding the blueprints. And so we see this in verse 14. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to the men of, to all the men of Israel, cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination, an abomination to the Lord. This is idolatry. Notice it's, it's the Levites speak with a loud voice and say to the men of Israel in verse 15, cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen and sets it up in secret. Notice, I mean, this is straight up in secret. In secret, it's deeper than the public can see. What's inside? What's inside? Just like we studied on on, on Sunday in Colossians 2. What's inside? Is it the outward appearance? Just like we looked at with the rocks, the stones. Is it the outward appearance? Is it the Sunday best? What's inside? The outward appearance is... It's the outward appearance. But what's inside? What's inside the heart? What's inside the mind? That's a different ballgame. You see, even the, the tabernacle was exposed to the elements. Even the, the temple was exposed to the elements. Same thing with you and me. Elements are exposed to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple. But what's inside? Elements exposed to Paul. Elements exposed to Titus. Elements exposed to Timothy. Elements exposed to Chloe. But what's inside? You see? The Shekinah glory of the Lord. But that's that's a choice. Not to choose like, okay, I choose for the Shekinah glory to be inside. No, the Lord chooses. But he responds to obedience. You see? 
It's not the Calvinistic model that says, oh, you know, you're, you know, I'm a believer because the Holy Spirit made me believe. No. You have in the book of Acts, Christians, believers, without the Holy Spirit. The religious. And the Holy Spirit fell on them as a result of Peter laying hands on them. You have other passages where Paul lays hands and the Spirit falls on them. See? When we read the book of Acts, don't read the book of Acts as history. Even though, in one sense, it is history. Because, I mean, we're looking back on, you know, time period-wise, it is history. But read the book of Acts in terms of potential. What the Lord can do inside of you. Inside of the church, what the Lord can do. And not crazy town. Not like a church of 500 people and 500 people are speaking in tongues. That's crazy town. I mean, if you're Calvinist, if you're a charismatic Pentecostal, whom I love, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There is order in fellowships. But don't read the book of Acts as history. A lot of people do, and they say, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. There's no expiration date. But read the book of Acts as what, as potential of what the Lord can do inside of you and inside of a church. See? How does that happen? How do we today get to a, the book of Acts type? How do we How does that happen? Well, we got to go to school. We got to go to, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Just like we have to, you know, first Corinthians to Colossians. And there's more. We're not done. We have to grow. We have to mature and understand. And it's you and me that yields to the spirit. Yields to the word of the Lord. And when I say yield to the spirit, the spirit of the Lord always brings a person into the word of the Lord. Always. People say, oh, I yield to the spirit and the spirit is directing me here. Where That's unbiblical. So that's not the spirit. Remember, you open yourself up to the pneumos, you're subject to the pneumos. It's dangerous business. And so we see here in verse Still in 15, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. You see, balls in your court. Notice how Moses speaks, the Levites speak, the elders speak, and you know, in, in, in verse 15, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Balls in your court, people. Balls in your court, second generation of Israel that's passing into the promised land. Balls in your court. You see, verse 16, cursed, are one who, cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. You see, balls in your court. Now, remember, at this point, at this point in, in, in Deuteronomy 27, at this point, the formula is right in the people. The formula is right in the people. Because remember, that in, 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 in verse uh, 9, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. But, you know, the formula is right in this people. But then at the same, it's almost like, 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 like there's a clean slate, so to speak. And it's at this point, it's safe for the kids to heed their parents. But, but this is going to change in time. Because you're going to see 
men and women, moms and dads, and not just like very close to proximity to Deuteronomy 27. You're going to see it in future books of the Old Testament. You're going to see mom and dad go crazy. And what happens to the kids? You see, when mom and dad go crazy, you have to be not Korah. When mom and dad turn into Korah, for my younger brothers and sisters, you have to be not like that. You have to be like the sons of Korah who wrote beautiful psalms. They made their choice. Balls in your court, Korah. Korah made his choice, was disobedient. The Lord judged him. Balls in your court, sons of Korah. They made their choice. They honored the Lord. They feared the Lord. They loved the Lord. And they honored the Lord. And the Lord captured what they wrote in, in the Psalms. See, you make your choice, my young brother. You make your choice, my young sister. Mom and dad, they're going to make their choice. You make your choice. And a little message to the mom and dad, don't forget the millstone. Very important because the same formula as Old Testament, New Testament, the formula is exactly the same. It is true in verse 16, cursed is one who treats his father or mother with contempt. Now, sometimes, you know, a lot of parents, they say, well, you know, see kids, you have to honor me. You have to honor mom. You have to honor dad. It is written. Look, the Bible says that you have to do that. So therefore you have to honor me. Hey, son, you know, go buy me some beer. Here's a, here's a couple dollars. Go buy me some beer. Hey, son, here, go, go to the street corner. Give me some crack. No, sorry, dad. I love you and I honor you. But you know what? In that, I honor the Lord, you know, above you, I honor the Lord. So no, I'm not going to buy your crack. No, you, you know, you, you want to do this? You want to do this uh, sexual stuff? Okay. No, I don't want to, I'm not down with that. I'm not going to do that. You, you know, you want to, you want, you want to give me a fake ID so I can go to the strip club with you? No, I'm not down with that. You see, I love you. I love you, dad. And you know, I, you know, I, I don't like this choice you're making. I love you, but. Look, if you want to be Korah, you be Korah. I'm going to be the son of Korah. You see? You want to sink into the earth and be destroyed and be killed? Okay. Balls in your court? You want to, you want to respond to the Lord that way? Okay. But I'm going to be like the psalmists. I'm going to write praise and honor the Lord. I'm going to write praise unto Him. And I say this to my young brothers and sisters because it's like... A war zone. A war zone with the young teenagers. It's like a straight up war zone. I mean, outside of the persecuted church, which is like, you know, a war zone, spiritually and physically, the next in line and like, you know, in, in the, the next in line in terms of the intensity of battle is arguably, arg arguably the, the teenagers. Parents don't understand this. They they want to, you know, uh, uh, protect their kids and shield their kids and protect their kids. They don't want to teach their kids and train their kids. You know, like we studied on, on Sunday. You know, yes, we live in a dark world and a dangerous world, but the, the remedy for that, hey, make baby girl dangerous so that she can enter this dangerous world, this dark world with oil for her lamp so she can have light in the dark. With her shield, with her sword, and she could engage. 
But you want to protect and shield baby girl and baby girl's 30 years old and 40 years old and she enters the world for the first time and you've been, you know, like, you know, uh, overprotective. Baby girl's in big trouble. And you are too, parent. So we have to understand this formula to train up and equip. Not just for parents, but for pastors, elders, train and equip. That's why when we get into the pastoral epistles, you know, the formula has got to be right in the home of the pastor, in the home of the elder. Because when that, when that is right among the kids, these are men, men. If they're married, you know, they have their wife, they have their kids, there has to be order. Why? Because they've trained and equipped their kids. They've trained and equipped their kids. Their kids aren't, you know, like wishy-washy. Their kids are straight-up warriors, like straight-up, like, you know, dense in their armor. They have fought. They have, like, you know, dense in their helmet because, you know, they've been taking hits. But, you know, they've also gone on the counter, too. They've been on offense, too. So you have these little kids, like little 10-year-old warriors, straight-up warriors. I would love to be, you know, uh, link shields with these 10-year-old warriors. It's always just a 10-year-old. No, let no one despise your youth. Look at David in the battle. David took out Goliath. In the name of the Lord. You see? For my young brothers and sisters, let no one despise your youth. But at the same time, when you look, we're going to get into the pastoral epistles. And so you have the, the uh, when, when the formula is right, in the home of a pastor, in the home of an elder. These are men who, if they're married and have kids, they have trained up their kids to be warriors. You know, 8-year-old warrior, 10-year-old warrior, 13-year-old warrior, straight up fighters fighters like that they get down and dirty they're not afraid of goliath because they've been trained they've been taught and so you have a man like this not a little boy who you know got the big muscles of you know the big hairy chest you know and has the deep voice you know oh, i'm a man i'm a man that ain't no man you're just a little boy the Bible teaches us what a man, what a man is. The Bible teaches us what a woman is, what a, a boy is, what a girl is, what an old guy is, what an old lady is. The Bible gives us the blueprints. And the world tells us what a man is. The world tells us what a woman is. The world says, you know, women got to be like this, women got to be like that. You read the Bible, you're like, whoa, that's... You know, counter to what the Bible teaches. There you go. If you let the world dictate what this, the perception of man, women, boys, girls, old people got to be, you're in trouble. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're just passing through. That's it. So you have a man who's trained up his children. Now he becomes elder, and it's like he's done it before. It's nothing new to him because he's done it in his kids. He has, you know, warrior son, warrior son, warrior daughter, warrior daughter. It's no big deal to him because he knows how to, he's done it. And now he can enter the church, or, you know, enter the ministry, and he can do exactly that because it's, it's no, he's done it before. Pastor, he's done it before in his own kids. 
And now he's able to train up these, you know, the saints of the Lord because he's trained up still saints of the Lord, except they're his, you know, biological kids. But now he can do it to his spiritual kids. You see? But what do we see today? <laughs> you see, pastor on, you know, marriage number four and, you know, the previous wives aren't even dead. You look at the kids from the first marriage, they're basket cases. You look at the kids from the second marriage, they're basket cases. You look at the kids from the third marriage, they're basket cases. You look at the kids from the next marriage, and she's pregnant. The same thing is happening. You think they're going to train warriors? No. They're not going to train anybody. The world is going to train them. Why? Because the world is trained. Dear old dad. Oh, but look, he's a man. He's got the muscles. He's got the big hairy chest. He's got the deep voice. Oh, look, he's a man. The world says he's a man. That ain't no man. That's a little boy. And he's to be flicked away from the pulpit because that ain't no pastor. You see? Oh, but look, here's an elder over here and they don't have kids. and they, the ma Okay, but the wife is crazy. The formula's got to be right. Doesn't worry. He does Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, they build in vain. That's what the Bible says. The formula has to be right. To my young brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe eight years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, 18 years old, you know, you, you get to an age like age 13 where you start to understand Things at a deeper level of you're, you're able to comprehend things at a deeper level. And, you know, there's this confusion where parents like, you know, they like to make excuses and they say, well, you're just 13. You don't understand. But this is really what's happening. And kids just like, OK, well, you know, that's what my dad says. That's what my mom, my mom says. So that is what is happening. But what does the Bible say is happening? No, dad's going into crazy town. Mom's going into crazy town. If you're a young brother or young sister of mine, you're a teenager, and biblically speaking, make sure it's the Bible and make sure it's not your feelings like, oh, you know, I got grounded, so I don't, my dad's a, you know, a Korah. No. <laughs> but if you have a straight up dad and mom that exemplify the behaviors of Korah in their disobedience to the Lord, be a son of Korah. And I say this, you know, without sex in mind you know if you're a daughter be a son of Korah you stand for the Lord understand that mom and dad have entered crazy town that's their choice balls in their court because I've had these conversations with kids before and it kills me it breaks my heart there's all this confusion what do I do you know I'm the Bible says I honor my mom and dad it's Yes, you honor them. You know, I like to give the politics example. The president summons me to his office. I'll go. I have respect for the office. Yes, Mr. President. You know, you call me. Here I am, Mr. President. You know, how are you? <laughs> I don't know if it'd go like that, go down like that. Yes, Mr. President, what, what do you need? Oh, well, I want you to uh, uh, plant a tree over here. Okay, Mr. President, I'll do it. 
But then, you know, the president says, well, I want you to go and uh, start teaching these things which are contrary to the Bible. Okay, Mr. President, listen, I, I respect your authority. I respect, you know, the, the command that is that, that you have over this and that and, you know, how you're, you know, uh, you know, you're in your position. And, you know, I, I question certain things on how you run things. But, Mr. President, I'm not going to deny the Lord. I'm not going to deny the Lord. I cannot do that. I respect you. You know, you have this authority according to the flesh and, you know, that's given to you by the Lord. And, you know, I understand that. And I want you to know that, Mr. President. I also want you to know that God loves you, Mr. President. You know, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus Christ? Always, you know, I, I always got my fishing pole. So I respect the office of the president. I even respect the president in terms of sitting in that position, in that capacity. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go, you know, pick out curtains with the president. I'm not going to go, you know, and blindly do, you know, oh, I want you to do this thing that goes against with your belief system. Sorry, that's not happening. Well, if you don't do that, I'm going to chop off your head. Okay, here it is. I don't want, I got I to gotta face only a mother can love anyways. Take it. I don't want it. You see? And I like to say this to kids, too, because a lot of times kids say, you know, like, well, the Bible says I got to honor my parents and this and that. And yes, it is true. Honor them. Have respect for them. But never, ever forget the authority that's over them. Which is Jesus Christ. Everybody has to submit to Jesus Christ. Dad, mom, and you. Everybody in submission to Jesus Christ. Now, within that vertical line, within that vertical line, people are going to get out of whack. Hopefully, it never happens, but it happens. Dad might go into crazy town. Mom might go into crazy town. And when that happens, you stay right smack dab in submission to Jesus Christ. You might be the only one in that vertical line. And there's going to be sorrow associated with that. But there's also going to be joy. Because you can rejoice in the Lord. Even in the sorrow. If you're young, you don't have to be confused. God is not the author of confusion, but understand the blueprints of what is happening spiritually. And pray and fast for your parents. Your siblings, pray and fast for your siblings. It's going to get worse in the last days. You're, you're, you know, If that's you, your parents have forgotten the millstone. Which isn't good. But understand what is happening. Dad wants to be Korah. Mom wants to be Korah. Okay, you be the son of Korah. You're female, you be the son of Korah. You be the daughter of Korah. You see? Balls in their court, balls in your court. We see here in verse 16, and all the people shall say, Amen. You see, what's so powerful about this is that the 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 the, 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 the priest they say something the people say amen and it's like okay but in the course of time the people will forget in verse 17 cursed is one who moves his neighbor's landmark this is like the property line you know you you, you move the property line and you know cursed is one who does that in verse 17 and all the people shall say amen verse 18 cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander the wander off the road Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are blind guides of whom he says you are whitewashed tombs. 
whitewash. Remember, the only time you see it is here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 27 at Ebal. Remember, Mount Ebal, which is the mountain of cursing. To curse, to curse, to curse. And it said to the Pharisees, blind guides. Now, you know, you see that the deeper implications in knowing this, in, in knowing just the whitewashing, the, the whitewash, in knowing that alone, now you see the deeper implication to New Testament teachings when Jesus refers to the Pharisees at, as whitewashed tombs. Now it's a little deeper because now you know Ebal, you see it's the mountain of curse. You see how it's deeper? And it's so powerful because it's like, wow, you see, when Jesus is speaking, and when we study the, the Gospels, you see Jesus speaking. And you hear him say, you know, to those who have ears, let them hear. But then you see how the crowd responds. And it's like, on some, in saying what he says, on some is blessing, on some is curse. On some is blessing to where they're drawn to him. On some is cursing to where they are almost like repelled by him. And in some, in being cursed, some of them, their heart in cursing, just like we see with Nebuchadnezzar, their heart gets hard. But then at the same time, through that, through that, how they are humbled to the point where they Come to Christ. And we see that with, you know, former Pharisees who became Christians. But then at the same time, the problem with them is that they didn't deny their old dogmas. You might be former Catholic. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. It is not biblical Christianity. You come to Christ. There's no safety outside of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. That means don't go to Vatican I, Vatican II. Apocrypha Tobit. You're Mormon. You you know you're, you're, you you that is not biblical Christianity. It is Mormonism. You go there. There is no salvation outside of Christ, and the Word became flesh. That means there's no this extra book here, extra book here, extra book here, extra book here, extra book here. No, it's the Word of God. But. When you come to Christ and you're abiding in the real Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus Christ, not one of the fake ones, which the real Jesus Christ warns about in Matthew 24. Once that happens, you, you are the one who has to let go of those prior dogmas. Let go of those prior dogmas. And I say this to you as a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. See, in verse 18, and the people shall say, amen. Verse 19, cursed is the one who perverts the justice through the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. These are, these are corruption. You know, one of the beauties we see in these last days, in, 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 in the ways of the world, we see corrupt, corrupt judges, corrupt judicial systems, Corrupt uh, 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 district attorneys. We see corruption in the court system. We see this corruption in cities and you see the fruit of it. What, you know, once this corruption enters, uh, judges, once the, once the corruption enters where justice is muddied down, then you see how cities change. Lawlessness grows. Lawlessness abounds. 
And that's what's one of the beauties of the last days is because, you know, if we were having this study uh, 30 years ago, it would really take a, a stretch, depending on where you lived. It would take a stretch to say like, okay, well, you know, this is why this is written like this is because, you know, in the absence of this, it can get crazy. And so the Lord has these statutes in place, not advocating the law, but I'm just saying, you know, but we see this here in verse 19, cursed is the one who perverts justice. Well, in these last days, we see perverted justice all around us. Now you see the fruit of it, lawlessness abounding. And so we look at verse 19, it's like, okay, now you see the result of perversion of justice. And the same thing applies here. Don't pervert justice. That is due in verse 19, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, amen. Verse 20, cursed is one who lies with his father's wife. This is sexual, this word to lie, it's not to tell a lie. I mean, that's not good either, to tell lies. But in verse 20, cursed is one who, who lies. This is sexual connection, sexual activity, straight up sex. In verse 20, cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. Now, you read this and it's like, Wow, does this, does this even need to be said? Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife. Does this even need to be said? It's kind of like, uh, this is, this is, this is private matters, Moses. Does this even need to be said? This is private matters, priest. Does this even need to be said? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It needs to be said. Because in the course of time in our study through the Bible, we will see blatant, blatant, blatant disregard for God's word. Old Testament, New Testament, and even today. We're going to see it in the camp of Israel. We're going to see it in the camp of the church, New Testament. And we see it in the camp of the church today. The camp of Laodicea. It's like, whoa. In verse 20, cursed is one who lies with his father's wife. Like, It's like, does that even need to be said? Yes, 100%. Absolutely, it needs to be said. Because the people need to know this. That there's a curse behind that. And look here in verse 20. And all the people shall say, Amen. See, everybody's in one accord and it's beautiful. Everybody's in one accord. Like, the, you know, the, 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 the Lord says what he says through Moses, through the elders. Through the through the, uh, 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 the the Levites, the Lord says what He says, and all the assembly of Israel, Amen. You know, you know, Amen. We're on board, and it's beautiful, clean slate, everybody on point. But in the course of time, you're going to see things change. But not with the Lord. The Lord doesn't change. The Lord responds. Remember, He never changes. You're going to see hearts change. You're going to see hearts change for the better. You're going to see hearts change for the worse. You're going to see hearts change from the worse and to get even more worse. You're going to see hearts change that are in more worse and you're going to see them change for the better, the repentance. And then you're going to see them where the hearts change for the worse again and then for the worse again and then even more worse and even more worse and even more worse and even more worse. And And then you're going to see judgment. Then you're going to see wrath. And that's what happens. And at the same time, you're going to see how the Lord calls prophets. Hey, Amos, go over to these people. Jeremiah, say this. Isaiah, say this. Zechariah, say this. And not everybody will heed. Not everybody will heed. 
only the remnant. You see? In verse 21, Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. Oh my goodness, does this even need to be said? Same word for the, you know, sexual connection. It's not to lie to an animal, like, you know, tell a lie to an animal. No, it's to lie down sexually with the animal. Sexual connection, straight up sex. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. Does this even need to be said, Moses? Levites, elders, does this even need to be said? Yes, it needs to be said. Because this generation who says in verse 21, and all the people shall say amen, this generation, they're going to enter the promised land and they're going to enter regions where the outside influencers are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the uh, 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 Moabites, all these outside influences. But the Lord says, no, you are my people. You are my people. You are set apart. Don't let these people be an influence. What happens? These other cultures, other peoples, other gods, they become influencers. How does that happen? That people forgot. Don't forget that to forget is a choice. Don't forget. I mean, we live, I mean, I remember, you know, like when the, the internet age, when the internet grew in popularity, you know, post like bulletin boards, you know, the, like, you know, the dial up bulletin boards. And when that happened, they called it, oh, the age of information, the age of information. You figure like, wow, we're in the age of it, like in the nineties, you know, yeah, oh, we're in the age of information. You know, everybody's going to be smart. It's just the opposite. We're in the age of information and look what happened. Everybody became dumb. But to forget is still a choice. Forgetting isn't just like, like an automatic thing. To forget is a choice. It's not like, you know, genetic. We stay in the word of God. Abiding in the word of God. In verse 22, cursed is the one who lies with the sister. Oh my goodness, this is the tell a lie to your sister. This is straight up sexual relations, straight up sexual connection, straight up sex. Cursed is the one who lies with us. Moses, do you even need to say this? Come on. Elders, priests, do you even need to say this? Come on. Yes, it needs to be said. It needs to be said. Cursed. Straight up Mount Ebal. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And the people shall say, Amen. Look at the people. Everybody in one accord. Amen. Verse 23. Cursed the one who lies with his mother-in-law. Oh my goodness, Moses. Elders. Priests. Do we have to talk about? Look. In verse 20. Uh, the wife. Uh, the father's wife. Verse 21. An animal. Verse 22. The sister. Verse 23. The mother-in-law. Moses. Come on. Does this even need to, Do we? Hush, hush. Do we even need to mention this? Come on, let's not talk about this. No, they need to hear. The people need to know this. Notice how in this particular chapter, the majority of these curses being referenced, the majority is sex-related. Very interesting. Does that sound familiar? Look at the problems we see in the church today. Majority, sex-related. Three biggies, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the three biggies. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. To my younger Brothers and sisters in Christ, stay away from drugs. Stay away from drugs. That is a powerful force. It is not almighty, 
but it is still a powerful force. Stay away from drugs. Stay away from alcohol, a powerful force. Stay away from sex. It's a powerful force until you're married. But if you're not married, you know, I just echo the words of Paul. It's better to stay unmarried because of the marriage unto Christ. But, you know, balls in your court. (laughs) So we see here in verse 23, and the people shall say, Amen. Verse 24, cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. So it's like behind the back, like a betrayal. Cursed is the one who does that. And the and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 25, cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an, an innocent person. So like a person becomes a hitman. And it says here, cursed is the one who does that, who slays an innocent person. Remember Judas? Judas took a bribe. Turn to Matthew 27 really quick. And in Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, this is Judas unto Jesus. Then Judas, his betrayer, the betrayer of Jesus, seeing that he had been condemned, that Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful remorseful, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So, you know, he took a bribe. He took a a bribe to betray Jesus. You know, he was breaking the law. Remember, the wages of sin is death in accordance to the law. Saying in verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So he knew. He knew. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. You know, if you recall our study through uh, Matthew 27, if you've been walking with us for, for a while, it's them saying, you know, what do we care? That's your problem. Isn't that just like Satan? Where Satan will attempt to to pull you away with whatever it is, sex, drugs, rock and roll. He'll attempt to pull you away. And if he's successful to that end, you know, what do we care? What's that? That's your problem. He'll make another, you know, you'll feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He'll make another offer to you. Why don't you just jump off a bridge? You see, you know, you call yourself a Christian. How could you do that? How could you do that? You call yourself a Christian. And then all of a sudden, the guilt and the shame to say, oh, you know what? Why don't you just jump off a bridge? You know, when you're in guilt and shame and i tell you from experience when you feel guilt and shame don't go left don't go right don't go forward don't go backward you go down and you fall to your knees lord forgive me because in guilt and in shame satan will say and his demons his minions they'll say Hey, let's go a little bit more left over here. Oh, let's go a little bit right over here. Oh, why don't you go forward over here? Or let's go back over here. And I say unto you, don't go left, don't go right, don't go forward, don't go backward. But when you feel guilt and shame, you go down to your knees. Lord, forgive me. You see? Look at what happened here with Judas. 
You know, Judas felt that, you know, like, oh my goodness, I've done wrong. In verse 4, I have sinned and by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Now remember, the only ones who are indwelt by Satan in the Bible, Judas and then the Antichrist. Those are the only ones that are indwelt by Satan. You see indwelling of demons inside of people. But the only ones uh, biblically indwelt by Satan, uh, Judas and Antichrist. Now you see, Satan was all done with Judas at this point. You know, he, he used them for, you know, to, for his purpose. And now Judas feels like I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Notice what Judas references. The law. See, the law is still in effect. In verse 5, then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. You see, hanged himself. The wages of sin is death in accordance to the law. And yes, he was with Christ, but he left Christ. There's no safety outside of Christ. Remember our study in Galatians? You're abiding in Christ and you attempt to be justified by the law, you're leaving Christ. And the wages of sin is death. In verse 6, But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury. Very interesting. So they knew. They knew the law. You see? They knew the law. Now you see, they are co-conspirators with Judas. Very interesting. Which means they are without excuse in accordance to the law. Remember whitewashing? The whitewash? Mount Ebal? The curse? Everything in accordance to the law. Which is still in effect. But it's the lesser glory. It points to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And so we see here in verse 6, But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. You see? The co-conspirators. They think, oh, you know, we wash our hands of it. Nope. Sorry. Can't do that. The only washing, in order to be cleared of that, the only washing is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only washing. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. And so we see in Deuteronomy 25, Cursed is one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. In verse 25, And all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 26, in closing, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. You see, confirmation through obedience. Confirmation through obedience. Remember in our previous studies in the New Testament how there's a certain confidence in the circumcision? And I'm speaking about in the flesh or in the spirit, circumcision of heart, not of the flesh. There's a certain confidence in the circumcision or being circumcised. Where like like Paul had this confidence, confidence in the circumcision of the spirit of the heart. Which is, you know, like when, when, when Paul says at the Miletus meeting in Acts 20, you know, after my departure, 
Wolves will come in and wolves will be even among you. He has, there's a certain confidence in circumcision. Not that he's boasting and saying, oh, look, I'm a tough guy and the wolves come and, you know, they're going to come when I'm leaving. But when I'm here, they're not going to be here. It's not to say, oh, look, I'm a tough guy. But he has confidence in the circumcision, which is of the Lord. Remember, he's a dead guy. It is no longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. And w- when we have that, babies don't have that. Baby Christians don't have that. You know, preschooler Christians don't have that. They can move forward to it and, you know, become first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade and moving on to perfection. But when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, baby Christians don't have that understanding yet. We see the babiness of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the guy was having sex with his dad's wife. You know, very interesting because we see that, you know, it's against the law in accordance with the law. I'm not advocating the law, but the law points to Christ. Does that mean that in Christ it becomes justifiable? Well, look, we're free in Christ. We can go ahead and do it. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's an abomination before the Lord. People say, oh, look, I'm free in Christ so we can do all these things. No. The formula's got to be right. I'm not advocating the law in saying that. But the fulfillment of the law, listen to our study through Romans 1 or read Romans 1. You'll understand more. The wrath of God on individuals. And not just on individuals that are partaking of these things, but when you look at Romans 1, turn to Romans 1 really quick. In Romans 1, Romans 1, verse 24 through 31, a list of all these works of the flesh where when it is, you know, it's an unrepented of and it's babies being babies for an extended period of time, just like in Corinth, you know, you know, it should have been nipped in the bud by the, by the pastors and elders. It should have been nipped in the bud, but it wasn't. And, you know, and, and since they knew God in verse 21, and since they knew God, although they knew God and did not glorify him, nor were they thankful, all of a sudden their foolish hearts became dark as is written in verse 21. But then you see all these works of the flesh, which as a result of them being carnal, they became worse. In verse 24, God also gave them up. Not just God gave them up, but God also gave them up, which means what? That they gave up on God. Remember, God is reactionary. They gave up on God. And so God also gave them up. Now, this is just immediate. This isn't like, you know, like, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, there's uh, one uh, one work of the flesh and, you know, okay, God gave you up. No, this is like, you know, without a pastor, without an elder to say, hey, don't do this. Don't do the sex. Don't do the crack. Don't do the drug. Don't go to the strippers. Don't do this. Don't. You know, without that, biblical overseers to teach, to train, to equip, without that, then you have a pool of baby Christians Just like in Corinth, where babies stay babies for three years, four years, 10 years, 20 years, that's not good. 
And God is reactionary. Because they gave up on God, verse 24, God also gave them up. And there's this long list of all the, all these fruits of the flesh, works of the flesh. But notice verse 32, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Whoa. That's when you get into the the idea that says, well, God is love, so let's just love on these people and not let God take care of their, oh, God is love. And if that's how they want to express their love, then that's okay. The approval of those who practice them. That is included in this list. We have to be wise to the times. When you stand for the Lord, the world will hate you. When you stand for the Lord in accordance to his word, the world will want you dead. But don't forget, they hated our Lord first. Let's look at Go back to Deuteronomy 27 now. Cursed is the one who Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this of this law by observing them. So now you see the blessings of obedience. This is the cursing of disobedience. But now you see the blessings of obedience, which is why we have the, the confidence in circumcision. You see? In verse 26, and all the people shall say amen. Everyone in one accord. But in the course of time, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but in the course of time, you'll still you'll see people, and we're going to study these things, and you'll see people in the camp of Israel start to falter. You see? And they forget. And then they have kids, and they don't teach. Since they forgot as, you know, and then they have kids, and then they don't teach their kids, so the kids forget. Then you have a generation that doesn't know the Lord. For you and me, we see it in the church today. But understand that the fight never ends. The fight will never end until our last dying breath. That's what's so beautiful about, you know, we see these things that are said to the camp of Israel. But remember, who sang it? Moses. He's an old man. He's a very old man, very, very old man. He's about ready to to straight up die. And he's a very old man. And you see the fight in Moses. You see? When he was younger, yes. The help of his wife, yes. And how he has grown himself and matured himself. And he's still, as an old man, fighting the good fight. You see? And you're going to see that. Not in everybody, But you're going to see it among the remnant, male, female, young, old. You're going to see it. And praise be to the Lord. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.